I'm going to start with a true story that will relate to our themes and our passages today. Let me tell you about uh, Bob Thune, who is um, a pastor in Omaha, Nebraska. He relays a story, a very serious story, about a young man in his church called Jack. And Jack was a, um, <clears throat> a very bright medical student, um, you know, good with his responsibilities and his studying. On the surface, uh, Jack was a sharp and committed member, somebody who was, you know, apparently very serious about his faith. And he not only led a small group, a Bible study, but he oversaw one as well. So he was kind of a big deal, you know, kind of really uh, an important p- person in their church. But under the surface, um, Jack was kind of leading a bit of a double life, and there were some serious problems going on. Jack uh, had some sexual immorality in his life, some alcohol misuse and abuse in his life. And his friends became very concerned, his Christian friends became very concerned about his behavior, started noticing things and things were happening. And so they confronted him about it, but it didn't go that well and it escalated to the point where now Jack was in front of his pastor, Bob, in Bob's office. And Bob challenged him and said, I want you to write on the whiteboard here all the names of all the women you've slept with in the last 12 months. He goes over to the board and he writes down six different women's names, one of whom was a girl in his small group who wasn't a Christian. Instead of sharing his faith with her, he shared his bed with her. And all this had come to light, not because Jack had come in repentance and because he felt convicted and he needed to make it right and he needed others to know what was going on. It came to light because she came forward about it. Well, because of his influence, because of his position, a lot of people were affected by his sin and his behavior and how he was operating. And so the, it was widespread, the effect of it. And so the leaders said, look, we, we want you to write a letter to other church members, bringing to light, bringing out of the darkness the things that had been hidden, confessing to them and talking about the changes that you want to make. The letter was shared privately amongst other church members, and the church was, those who knew him the most were encouraged to surround Jack with prayer and with support and to come alongside him and to help him. And the pastors there came up with a redemptive plan, a plan of accountability. How could he actually live out his Christian faith in a a good way? And this process was very humbling for him. You could even say humiliating for him, because he needed to be truthful about who he was and what he was doing, because he represented himself as somebody else. He had come across as a a strong, mature Christian who was a leader who should lead Bible studies and explain the truth of God's Word to people, but that wasn't who he was. He had secret sin going on in his life, and he had He was a member of the church, and so he'd made a commitment to live a godly life, but he had violated all of that. And at times during this process with these church leaders, Jack found himself hating the leaders, despising the the, the discipline that he was under. He found it hard at different moments to follow their direction and their counsel and what they were saying and doing. And then shortly after this, he got a job that moved him to a different city. And the question remained, who would Jack be now that he was going to be moving and being in a different environment outside of the the accountability that had been set up for him and the people that knew about all this and the support and the, the help they were giving him, who would he continue to be? How would he do in this new environment? So let's pause the story there. I'll get back to it at the end. It does relate to our passage and our theme for today. So... We're in our series called Being the Church, and uh, we've been doing this. This is week 10. Next week is the last week of Being the Church. So after that, no more Being the Church. We're done with Being the Church. Now, hopefully after this, we're a little more, got more of an idea of what it means to be a Christian community together, and we'll begin our Christmas series uh, after that in December. 
And today we're going to be looking at the subject matter of authority, specifically church authority. And um, the sermon today is titled Good Authority. Now, talking about this subject matter can make some of us nervous because authority can be abused and has been abused. But just because authority has been misused, and unfortunately, authority will always be misused because we're flawed human beings. So if you have authority, you're going to mess it up somehow on some degree. But because of that, we can't ignore this subject matter. In fact, the more ambiguous and the more undefined authority is, especially in a ministry context, the more in danger people are. There's more confidence and more clarity and more safety in drawing clear biblical lines around what authority is so that therefore you can have confidence in it, but also you know what it isn't and when it is going wrong. If we don't draw those clear lines, there can be real problems. So we have to address it. We have to look at it. Here's the big idea, one of the big things that we get from Scripture, we understand from Scripture, that authority is always received from a higher source. Authority is received from a higher source. So even the, the religious elites from Jesus' day, even though they got a lot of things wrong, they understood this. So I think it's Matthew 21, we see this, uh, the, the, the authorities say this. Verse 23, they said to Jesus, who gave you this authority? And then in John 7, Jesus uh, he affirms this idea. He says, my teaching, this is in, directly in the context of talking about the subject of authority. He says, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. So, so their question was correct. Well, who gave you? Who, who said you could do this? Who's given you the authority to do this? And Jesus is very clear. Actually, it's the Father in heaven. It always comes from the highest source. It, it trickles down in that way. We have an example, actually, in the Old Testament of the, the importance of transferring authority from, a, from the right source and delegating and deputizing authority. So it's Numbers 27. We see this. It says, talking about Moses and, and Joshua in the Old Testament, it says, you, Moses, shall invest him, Joshua, with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. Now, there have been some at different times in the Old Testament you know, Moses is the leader that God had raised up and given him the authority to lead the nation. And some people had come against that. They had said, we don't like this authority. Who, who gives you the right to lead us? And they pushed back on it. And that, that had been settled. And so now the people knew, they respected Moses. He is God's appointed one. He has the authority. But there's going to be a change. And Joshua now is going to have responsibility. He's going to lead the people into the land. And so if there hadn't have been a proper transfer of authority... From Moses to Joshua, the people would have probably struggled with the same problem. Well, who is this Joshua guy and why should we follow him? And they needed to obey his leadership. And it's not just, oh, he's got some type of authority. Because it's Moses investing it and transferring it, and God told them to do this. This isn't just their idea. It's not just kind of like, well, this is how human psychology works. It's like God said to do this. He's telling Moses, invest some of your authority in Joshua that way, the people would know, oh, the authority that Joshua has is the same type of authority that Moses has. We see that authority, there's all kind of different contexts and dynamics of authority, right? So states have authority over citizens. You see that parents have authority over children. Employers have authority over their employees. You know, schools have authority over their students. It's the same in, in church, right? Churches have authority over Christians as well. Now, depending on the context, depending on the environment, those expressions and the boundaries around that authority will look a little different. We'll get into some of those nuances and some of those differences. But the point remains that this authority has been given by God, that God wants us to be under authority. So we have here... I think in this next verse, let's throw up that next verse. In Romans 13:1, the Apostle Paul says, There is no authority except from God. There is no authority except from God. And so if 
earthly authorities are working within the, 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 the moral bounds that God has given us, and we resist that, we reject that, what we're doing, according to the Bible, is we're actually rejecting God, ultimately. Last week, we looked at this a little bit. Sorry for all the, the video glitches last week. There were some glitches with the video sermon last week. I'm having some personal glitches right now. I'm buffering. Um, <laughs> this idea we looked at last week that uh, I think it's Peter that says elsewhere, he says, you know, we must obey God rather than, than men. So when, when men, when, when, when any person steps outside of the boundaries of what's right and what's wrong, what's moral, uh, they've lost their authority, right, in that sense. They still may have power, but they've, they've lost their, their true authority, and so we, we, you don't follow that. But as long as somebody's in the bounds, uh, we need to follow it, we need to trust it, because it's given by God. It's God's design. Now, here's how we can do this, because this is hard. It's a hard teaching to trust authority, especially authority that we don't like or that we don't agree with. We don't understand, why does this authority do this, or why, why does it happen this way? You know, it's, it's easy to follow authority if you agree with it, or you like the person. You know, you're like, oh yeah, I have a lot of respect for that. I like what they're saying. I agree with that. We should, we should all do that. You know, but then it, when, when it, you know, when it's a little bit out of line or disjointed, or the person kind of rubs you the wrong way, it's like it's hard. It's a hard teaching. But, but as believers, we have this faith that, that that God's in charge of all things. And then as it relates to ministry, it's not just shepherds that have the authority. Well, well Jesus, Jesus has the authority. All from Jesus. Ephesians 1 spells this out very powerfully. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. Paul, Paul writes this. He says, talking about the Father, he, the Father, raised him, Jesus, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we see from, this is how we can trust, and, and even though it's a hard teaching to follow authority, we, we, we can ultimately have faith because we know, well, God's the highest authority. So even if somebody is stepping outside of the bounds of their authority and I can't escape their power, I know that God will redeem this, that God in the end will make all of this right. And so I can, I can trust him in this regard. So what we see is, is he, the Father has all the authority. He's actually raised Jesus to the highest place of authority now and given him, delegated to him, complete sovereignty and complete control of all things. Also to be over the church, specifically, he's the head. He's called the head of the church, which means he, he has the authority to rule the, the, the church, the direction of, of his people. And Jesus' sovereignty here is des described in four dimensions. So we saw it. We saw rule, uh, authority, power, and dominion. Those four aspects give us a, a broad understanding of what it means to have sovereignty, or to be in charge, or to be in control. And so, if Jesus is delegating, God is delegating power to, to human authorities, then the question comes, in each of those four things, in rule, in authority, and in power, and in dominion, how much do they have in each of those four categories? And once you settle that question, then you can entrust yourself to those things, knowing that they're operating in the way that God has intended for those, for, for those things to be used. And, but we know because he has all the power and he delegates it, he can't delegate all of it, so nobody has all power, no authority. It's always limited because God has, has all of it. Um, we've got this list. We're going to start with rule. Let's start with, we're going to go through all four. We're going to start with rule. So we've got this list here in the Bible of uh, the idea of ruling. So number one, when the Hebrews left Egypt, God told them to no longer follow the Egyptian rules, right? The Egyptian state that they were enslaved in. They had their own rules, their laws. Don't follow those anymore. He said, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes. Number two, we're told that Jesus is the head of all rule. Number three, we're also told to be submissive to rulers as governing powers. Number four, we learn of Jairus a ruler in the synagogue. is specifically, this is their version of church back in the, the New Testament times, their synagogue. He, he's referred to, he's not just a shepherd, he's referred to as the ruler of that synagogue. Uh, some of Paul's instructions were characterized as his rule 
in the churches. He says, hey, this is my, this is my guidelines. These are my rules. This is how... He talked about that himself. And then, uh, listen, you know, 1 Corinthians 7. And then Scripture talks of church elders who rule. That's 1 Timothy 5. Elders who rule in uh, the church. Now, for a state to have rulership, right? We, we, we don't, you know, in America, right, we've got, we've got a, a democratic republic. So, so we, we don't talk about our leaders as being rulers, because, uh, you know, they, they don't set the laws, right? They, they sign off on them. They can veto stuff. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting system. It's a very novel system, historically speaking. Um, but what we understand typically the idea of uh, the government sets the, sets the laws. Uh, only the government can set laws, all right? Uh, no other entity outside of the government can set rules, uh, laws in that way. So any other entity other than the government sets guidelines and policies. And they can be... Laws can be used to sometimes enforce those things, but they are not laws themselves. Uh, and so this, you see this happening, for example, in um, like sporting regulations, right? So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I think it is, it says an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So if you compete in some, some kind of competition and you go outside of the rules, outside of the guidelines, you can't claim that you're won. Because you get disqualified. You've got you to compete within the rules. You can't change the rules midway through and then claim victory. That, that, that's, you don't have the, the authority to do that. There's, a, there's, there's people who regulate those rules. And that, this idea applies in church life as well, in church ministry. The shepherds are the ones called to define, to listen, to understand, but to define the rules. The, the, the members don't do that. That's not been given to them. But leaders have the right and the authority to determine the guidelines, to determine the policies, to, to implement those things. Now, that doesn't mean that pastors can just create whatever guidelines and rules that they want, say, I'm the ruler here. So Tuesdays, you have to wear blue, and that's the rule, right? Anyone want to do that? Anyone Make blue, Tuesday's blue, blue day. Wednesday's blue day. Wednesday's pink day. I don't get it. Is this a girl thing? Mean girls. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen that movie in a while. And so glad that came up. <laughs> Pastors work in, a, in, in, in teamwork. There's a lot of teamwork that happens. Uh, whenever it talks about elders in the New Testament, it talks about it's a plurality. They're in, a, they're in this together. And uh, shepherds can't just willy-nilly set whatever regulations or things that they like. Uh, this has to be done appropriately and done, done for the blessing of the church. So they, they can't go beyond Scripture, right? Can't go beyond Scripture. It um, can't be for personal gain. It's very tempting to, to want to set things in motion that say, hey, this benefits me, but makes life a little harder for other people. That's, that's not the way this should work. The idea of leadership is actually you, sometimes you have to take on a lot more burden than others. That's, that's the way typically it, it works. So we're trying to create regulation and rules that, that, that help the most amount of people. They can't be haphazard. They've got to have some wisdom to them. So they, they should be explainable to people. You may not agree with them, but they've got to have some kind of logic, some kind of reason. That why are we doing this exactly? What is this, how does this benefit things in some way? They can't be domineering. The, 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 the rulership in the church environment can't be domineering. It can't be lording things over people in that way or aggressive in that way. So that's, that's rulership. It's kind of setting the policy, setting the guidelines, setting that structure. Let's talk about authority. How does authority work, especially in the church context? Authority means you're authorized or certified to be in charge. You have the right and the responsibility to take charge of something. And uh, the Apostle Peter points this out, I think, in, uh, in this next verse here in 1 Peter 5. He tells pastors to proactively shepherd the flock, exercising oversight. So the nature of authority is that it has to be exercised. And this is a frustrating thing sometimes, that some people are invested with authority in certain situations, and it's up to them. They're the person that can stop something bad from happening or that needs to uh, implement a, an important change, and they won't do it. They won't take up the authority that they have because they're afraid. They're afraid of making a mistake. They're, they're just nervous about it. And that, that can be so frustrating for people who are underneath that kind of authority because then they have to bear the brunt of the ineffective 
leadership in that situation. But the nature of authority is that you have been given the right, you've been authorized by a higher power, you are allowed to rule. You're allowed to make these decisions and make these determinations and make these particular judgments on things. And, and the Bible actually has a very high standard of giving ourselves to authority. It's kind of a hard teaching, right? Sometimes in the Christian faith, there are some Sundays you come and you're like, yeah, that was amazing. That was a Sunday. I wish I brought my neighbor or my friend. That was a good Sunday. Other times, uh, it's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. You're like, oh, it's a heavy one that Sunday. You know, 10% of them, right? They're just like heavy ones. The, the, the disciples did this with Jesus. Jesus says, eat my flesh. They're like, this is a hard teaching, Jesus. You know, I brought my neighbor today, Jesus. You know, and you're saying, eat my flesh? What are you talking about? That's a true story. So, so Jesus means things. You know, he's got, he's got, he's got, he's, he's, he's next level, right? He's, he's, He's good. We can trust him. Um, the, the challenge is, is there, 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 there is a weight upon us that if the authority is coming from God, even whether we like it or not, whether it's perfect or not, that there is a high standard of God wanting us to trust and give ourselves to that authority. We see in this uh, next verse here. I'm forgetting my verses today. Um, now, this is, this is the hard teaching right here, 1 Peter 2.18. Peter says to servants... So a servant's obedience should even be to the unjust master. Now, back in the, in the day of the, of the New Testament, there was a, what's called a bond servant, somebody who voluntarily uh, came into the employment of a household. So you have the master of a house, you have a bond servant, and it's kind of like a, a, an, a contract today that some people might agree to, a work contract that some people might agree to today. And Peter's saying to bond servants of that day, even if you have an unjust master, you need to obey them. That's a hard teaching. That's going to be something that's going to really test your grace, your patience, sense of justice, because this person might be not the nicest, not the kindest, not, may not take care of you as they should. But now, now there's a level of bad that no one should uh, follow, right? And um, we, we have to reject and, and resist. And there's, you know, the, the way to think about it might be, if you imagine an invisible line, say I draw an invisible line in front of you, that's the the, the perfect master or leader or person in authority, right? That's, that's, that's perfect, right? Nobody's there. Everyone's underneath that line. Ideally, you want to be under authority that's trying to do everything they can to get as close to that line as possible. They're always shooting up for that line, right? But no one gets there. There's always a gap. And then at the bottom, imagine another invisible line beneath that. That's the line that nobody should ever cross below that line. And if they do, that's the line where you say, I cannot... I cannot stay on in this authority anymore because this has crossed a moral boundary. This is wrong, right? Maybe you've had an, an employer like that before, any bad employer experiences in the past, st stinky employers. Uh, and I, what happens is there's a margin there. There's a zone there of tolerance where they haven't crossed, they're never going to reach that line at the top and they haven't crossed the line at the bottom and you kind of exist in this middle space. Ideally, like you want good authority is, yeah, aiming for the top part. Unfortunately, sometimes you have bad authority where people seem to be constantly sinking to the, the closest part or the bottom part of it. Um, and if, if we didn't have, see, if we didn't build in some kind of tolerance to this, then we'd never be under authority, right? We'd never be under any kind of authority because the first moment that somebody does something slightly wrong, they, they overstep some kind of, not a moral boundary, but, but some other kind of boundary or, we, you know, we feel hurt in some way or something doesn't quite go right or a bad decisions made, bad judgments. You know, it's hard to be under on an authority figure that makes a bad judgment call, especially when it affects you personally. And you're like, you know, if I was in charge, I wouldn't have done that. That's hard. But the Bible builds in some tolerance because if there wasn't some tolerance for even an unjust, even obeying an unjust master then we'd, we'd never be under any, any authority. Because as soon as somebody does something that's not quite right, we're like, I'm done with that authority. I'm not going to follow them anymore. So, well, no, wait a second. The way God's designed this is there, there is this zone right here, this zone. And it's a joy to be under good authority that is aiming for the, the, the highest standard of that. This idea of bond servants obeying even an unjust master, um, 
I think that relates into all kinds of spheres of uh, dynamics of authority. It's a bit different because it's a monetary um, relationship. You know, it's based off of the, the promise of labor and payment of labor. Um, so there, there's, it, it's different in that regard. So you can't quite, it's not quite the perfect translation into like church ministry. But, uh, but another hard teaching, this is a repeat verse from last week, but another hard teaching in the New Testament is Hebrews 13. talks about church leaders. Any second now. Believers are also told, obey your leaders and submit to them, right? Again, if you like your leader and your leader makes good judgments and you trust them, that's easy to obey. Does every leader make the right judgment? No. Are they always nice and easy to get along with? No. So this is, a hard, this is some of the hard teaching of Scripture to us. Now, even though the Bible has this high standard where it says, hey, there is a level of tolerance here, and hey, you need to really trust and obey because ultimately God's in charge. We don't, we don't want to be resisting God. Even with that, those in authority are not off the hook. Because the danger is, you, you know, you don't put too much emphasis on, on, on those who are uh, in the followership position, as we talked about followership last week. The Bible says that we've got a few examples of this here about those in, in positions of power. Masters are told, stop your threatening. So, hey, if you're the master of a household or you're an employer, threatening, are you kidding me? Like, this is totally wrong. The Scriptures makes it super clear. Do not threaten people. This is an abuse of power, an abuse of authority. Fathers are told, do not provoke your children to anger, right? What's the temptation of a, a parent is to get testy with their own kids, right? Or to, to treat their kids in a way where, yeah, they're lording their, their power over their kids. And it's like, no, don't, don't provoke them. And then thirdly, pastors are not to be domineering, not to be overbearing or aggressive in that way. And so that nobody in authority is off the hook. We're still under God's judgment and God's authority and God's power. So that has to be taken very seriously. So we've, we've looked at ruling. We've looked at authority. What authority means is to be authorized to be in charge. And then let's look at power, this third one, power. Actually, inter interestingly, power and authority go together a lot. If you see, you know, we've got these four things that we were talking about, but particularly, in particular, authority and power always seem to go together. To, to have authority is to be allowed to use, to be authorized to use certain forms of power. That's what authority is. You are allowed to use, you've been certified to use certain forms of power. So defining what that power is, is really important. If you have authority without power, it's kind of useless. Because if you have no mechanism, no ability to actually implement the things you need to do, then why is anyone going to approach you to do anything? Right? Have you ever experienced this before where you're, you're trying to talk to an authority figure? And they're like, well, it's out of my hands. You know, I've got no power. It's like, well, why do you have authority then? Like you can't do this. You know, it's like you're on the phone call, right? It, it, when it, it, it takes longer, but sometimes it's better just to be like, give me the manager. You know, I've had that so many times where I'm on the phone, you know, on the, you know, holding on, whatever. And you're like, you can't do this, right? Let me talk to a the manager. They're not going to let to do it either, really. Well, let me talk to them, you know. And then you rant and rave, whatever you do, in the nicest way possible. And then I tell you, 90% of the time, you can get a manager to do a lot of stuff for you that the person before said they weren't going to do. Just want to give you that hope. If you're battling on the phone and you're like, they're never going to do it, just hold on, get a manager, just plead with them. And, and because they actually have more power, they, 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 they can do it. But so, so, so you need, if you're going to have authority, you need to be given power. Uh, the other way around is also dangerous, or, or well, this, the first way around is kind of useless, because <laughs> you can't do anything with your authority. The other way around is dangerous. If you have power without authority, then you don't have the understanding or the regulation that you need to properly wield your power. You can act out of, in a wrong place and misuse that, that power. Because the idea of being given authority by a higher source means that you've been either been trained or the boundaries have been made really clear to you. The fences, the lines have been drawn really clear about this is how you can use power and this is how you shouldn't use power. If you take power for yourself, and any form of power that you could talk about, anyone can pretty much get. The key is, are you allowed to use it? Have you been authorized to use it? So you can, you can take power for yourself in all kinds of situations. But is it rightfully yours to take? And that's why to have power without authority is very dangerous because there's no boundaries to it.
There's two main forms of power we could look at. There's, there's hard power and there's soft power. States are given what's called hard power. So I think it's, it's not on my slides, but I think it's Romans 13. It, the scripture says that, that the state has not been given the sword in vain. He does not bear the sword in vain. That means Caesar, any governing power, God allows him to have weapons. So that means governing powers under God's authority are allowed to threaten physical violence against you to keep law and order. That's the way authority works. So the so states have what's called hard power. They threaten us. They confine us financially, and they can enforce that if we don't pay the fine. They uh, can imprison us, take away our freedoms if we break the law. They can punish us in different ways, and different states around the world have different laws around different punishments and different things that they can do. That's hard power. No other institutions on earth have that kind of power. Only, only states have that kind of hard power. All other institutions, including churches, have what's called soft power. Soft power. So churches, in particular, have soft power, but also it, it operates in the, in the social and spiritual realm, essentially. So a pastor's power ultimately comes down to Scripture, what's in, in the Bible. And this is why this is so powerful, because most of ministry, most of what I do and anyone who's in ministry does is you're just pointing back to the highest authority. I mean, that's if you just want a job description right there, that's what you're doing all the time. People got their opinions. What about this? What about this? I believe this. You're like, that's interesting. What about this? Right? That's, that's, that's the game. That's the trick. Is we're always appealing back to it's not a trick, you understand, I'm just being silly about my phrasing here. We're always appealing back to what is the highest authority, because here's the thing, is if somebody claims to follow God, they claim to love God, they claim to want to be a Christian, they claim to want to trust God, but then they deny God's words, then they're in, they've created a trap for themselves where they're actually denying God. So, so, so in my role, I don't have like, du- you know, that kind of direct power in somebody's life, but I can appeal to the highest power say, well, what does this say exactly? That's social and spiritual power. Now, in uh, the Apostle Paul, he's talking to the elders at Ephesus. I think it's Acts chapter 20. He tells them this. He says, pay careful attention to all the flock. Pay careful attention to all the flock. So this is a form of power that um, pastors have. It's the, it's the power of being nosy. Let me explain this to get this get the, the fences clear around it and the, the, the understanding clear around, around this kind of power. Anyone can have this power because we know there's lots of nosy people around. So you can take the power. The difference is pastors are authorized to have a higher amount of this kind of power. Pay careful attention to all the flock, every sheep. Just as a parent, um, you know, like a, you think about a young child, like they've got a device that say they say they're doing something on their device they shouldn't be doing, playing a game they shouldn't be playing, watching a YouTube video they shouldn't be watching, and the parent says, "What are you doing? Let me look at that." And they look at the screen and say, "You're violating the rules that we've set up. I'm going to confiscate this device from you." Not only does the parent have the the authority, they've been given the right by God to do that. They also have the power to do it. Obviously, until that child gets to a certain age. And then the power balances like it can switch at times, you know. It's like, can I wrestle this child to the ground and, 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 and exert my authority over them? At what age does that stop being a thing? Uh, <laughs> um, a little different in church. Don't worry, we're not going to be wrestling anyone to the ground. What are you looking at at your phone? Give me that. Confiscating phones from people. I should start doing that. That'd be great. It's like, I need a new phone. <laughs> hey, I need an upgrade on my iPhone, so, you know, I might confiscate someone's iPhone. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> where did I get to on this? I lost my, my train of thought on this. So uh, th- th- this, is, uh, this is not about, um, be, again, not being overbearing, not being um, weird or like stalking or, you know, uh, violating people's privacy. None of that, right? Because there can be weird power dynamics, especially between men and women, right? So not, we're not talking about anything weird like that. We're talking, this is about being watchful. This is about paying attention to people. This is about saying like, look, if I notice something, that I'm concerned about, I want to love you enough to ask you about it or to look into it and say, what's going on with that? that doesn't, something there doesn't seem right, but I need, to, I need to find out more about it. That is a form of power that pastors have. Now, you can do it too. People, anyone can do it. But just, actually, I've been in some funny conversations before where I, I have 
reached into people's lives about something I was concerned about. And a couple of times I had people say, how dare you do this? Who do you think you are? Like, I'm your pastor. This is my job. Like, what did you think I did? Like, you know, I love you. I'm concerned about this. This is my role. This is what happens in the Bible. This is what all my other pastor friends do. Like, they're always telling me stuff they're doing like this, and this is what I do too. So it just struck me in that moment. This person doesn't, they're not on the same page with how this dynamic works in, in this way. So this is, this is the power of the nosy pastor, all right, who's watchful and caring and wants to, ha- you know, sometimes inject himself and, and put himself into certain conversations, Make a phone call, knock on a door, and say, hey, what's going on here? Hey, I need, I need to pull back the layers a little bit and look in here and investigate this a little bit, right? Not overbearing, not weird, not, not doing anything immoral, but looking around, paying attention to the whole flock. That's a form of power. Um, this is, again, this is, this is soft power, right? Um, Paul writes to Timothy, and, and he says to him, uh, you know, people are teaching falsehood. Uh, so I think it's uh, 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. People, you know, spreading false things in the church. He tells him, avoid such people. Now, the main point of this is uh, to protect the church. So, hey, you can tell the church, hey, avoid, we've got to avoid these people, right? They're, they're, they're not helpful. They're polluting the church, whatever. So we're going to avoid them. So the, the, the primary impetus of this is to protect the church, all right? Avoid, avoidance. But it has a secondary effect to it as well, which is a form of power, uh, in that people do want attention from spiritual leaders, even if they're at odds with that leader. They still want that person to give them attention or to think well of them. And so it's it, it the funniest dynamic. Even, if, even if in the past when I've had people who really disliked me or been really mad at me about something, they still want my approval. They still don't like it if I don't have a, the right view of them or a good view of them. That's just human nature. It's just the, well, I know it's the same thing for me. Even if there are people I'm annoyed about who have authority over me, I still want their approval in some weird way. We're, we're very strange social creatures in that way. Um, but the power of avoidance puts a lot of pressure on somebody by kind of ignoring them, kind of cutting them out, kind of excluding them in certain ways. That puts a lot of social pressure as a form of soft power. And it's, it's more powerful when leaders do it. Because the people that you want to think the highest of you are the people that, that carry the greatest weight in your life. That, that matters the most. I mean, it, you know which is why the, the people that you respect the most, if, they, if there is a disconnect there, something breaks down, it it's, can be devastating in that way. So there's the power of avoidance. Then, then there's another one here, um, excommunication, the power of excommunication. This is scary. Let's talk about this. How does this work? Excommunication. This is beyond just avoiding somebody. This is the next level. This is sending somebody into exile. All right? Napoleon's going to be sent into exile. It sounds epic, doesn't it? Doesn't happen very rarely. It doesn't happen very often. It happens rarely. Uh, Matthew 18, verse 17. Jesus talks about this. If you have a conflict and you get to the highest state of resolving it, and it can't be resolved, if he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church authorities. That's what that means. And if he refuses to uh, listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile tax collector. In Jesus' teaching here on resolution, you know, the idea is you're trying to resolve conflict. If it escalates all the way to church leaders and you still can't resolve it, only at that point do you completely excommunicate somebody. So that, or that power is not given to individual church members or Christians. That power is given to church leaders to excommunicate somebody. Again, this is for a very serious offense. All right, This isn't just uh, some random thing like you, you, know, you wore pink on Tuesdays, right? You got the wrong day, excommunicated, right? That, uh, that, 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 that's not how this works. This, this is, this is uh, excommunication is, I mean, hey, the threat of that is, is uh, it's a weighty thing, isn't it? Not something to be taken lightly because if you lose your social standing, you, you, if, if you're exiled or ejected from a community of people because of something, and again, the goal would be res- seek resolution, resolution, resolution. The goal is resolution. You're trying to get resolution. If it becomes impossible to have resolution because it's so egregious, so crazy, Excommunication is your only next option. Church leaders do that. If you get ejected from your, your, your community, it destabilizes your identity. You lose your support system, your structure, you lose your reputation. Like It is a severe consequence, a very severe consequence to be kind of unleashed on somebody. And again, you know, th- this is for very egregious things that, that happen. All right, so we talked about ruling. We talked about 
authority. We talked about power. Um, there are a couple other forms of, of church authority or church power. That I'm not, I don't have time to get into it today, but maybe another day we'll go into that. But those are the three big ones I wanted to talk about, which are you know, the nosy stuff, the, the, the avoidance, and then the excommunication stuff. Those are the forms of power. The fourth dimension of this is dominion. Dominion, which sounds cool. Uh, what does it mean? Uh, when somebody's given power and authority and, and rulership in an area, they're, they're given a territory in which they operate. Their, their domain of influence, if you will. So in ministry for pastors and shepherds, that, that domain of influence, right, it's, it's within the bounds of, of church ministry, essentially, right? That, that, that's, that's the domain that we, we function in. So, for example, things like theology, Right? Church leaders are supposed to know the Bible, understand theology, and help teach it, help explain it, help people understand it. Right? So that, that's one obvious area. Anything to do with community relationships and connections between people. And, hey, that's, that's in the domain of, of a pastor. Anything to do with discipleship, spiritual growth. Hey, that's, that's in the domain. Uh, anything to do with the church's mission into the world. You know, doing justice, you know, serving the poor and the needy, you know, reaching people with the gospel, all these, all these things in the world, that, that's in a pastor's domain. So there is a large domain. It's not universal. It doesn't apply to everything. There are, there are areas that pastors shouldn't go. It's outside of the territory of, of, of the role. But, but uh, it is still, you know, the Christian life is all, all uh, encompassing, right? When we give our lives to Christ, it's like there's no area of our life that Christ can't touch. But then pastors and, and shepherds are given, a, you know, clear domain to function in within that. So let me spell this out exactly how this works. If the Bible is clear on something, then shepherds can call people to it directly because hey, that's within the, the domain of the role. So for example, you know, we talked about our special offering today. We talked about giving sacrificially. The Bible talks about that. You know, talked about, hey, give that tithe. You know, these things are clear in Scripture. So as a pastor, it's like, hey, I can call people to that. Those things are clear. If the Bible is vague on something, instead, the way this works is say you, you draw general principles and you, general guidelines to give people. You can't directly spell it out and say, you've got to do it this way. So, for example, if someone's like, hey, I want to buy a house or I, got, I want to invest my money in this thing or I want to use my money in, in, in this other thing, it's like, well, okay, the Bible doesn't give the exact way that you should do that, but there are some general principles and guidelines you could follow. So that's, that's how a pastor has to carefully navigate those things. There are clear things where you can directly speak into and say, hold people to a standard. And other things you say, you know, this is a bit of a gray area. Like, here are some guidelines. You have to figure this out. And I think that's a nice balance to have. Some, you know, if you're always in an environment where it's top-down, very authoritarian and heavy, everything's spelled out, you don't have to think for yourself. That's called a cult. So we don't want to be like that. And, and this is, you know, listen, I would, I, I would love more of this. If I tell you something or I'm teaching something and you're like, I, would, I just want to hear more of this. Matt, hey, Matt, where's that in the Bible? Oh, man, that just make me so happy. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's a good question. I've got to do some more homework. I've got to dig into this. And, yeah, let's look at these verses. What do these verses mean? That's, but, hey, but if you're going to ask that question, I love that question. Because if you're going to ask that question, then you ultimately... Once you conclude this is what the Bible says, then you have to give yourself to that. That's, that's the power of it. Now, let me be very clear about this. There are leaders, and there have been leaders, and there will always be leaders who use their position of power and authority, their rulership and their dominion to manipulate people, right? So you have maybe church pastors who um, exert their rulership, you know, coming up with all kinds of guidelines or policies that are just overbearing or threatening excommunication. I mean, this, this is wrong. To, to, to threaten to somebody to say, if you don't do this my way, you don't listen to me, we're going we're gonna to excommunicate you from the church. That is an abuse of power. Here's what church leaders should be threatening. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure we're unified. You could laugh at that if you want we should be threatening resolution, right? should be threatening, I'm going to keep going and keep going and do everything. I'm going to exhaust every avenue I have to get us all on the same page, to unify us together. That's the goal. That's the, 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 the emphasis. Only if that becomes impossible, then do you take the drastic step of saying we have to exile this person. 
And I've got to tell you, most of the time, that it, if it ever gets to that point, it's rare it ever gets to that point, because normally people are so mad, so upset, <laughs> they just leave it of their own accord, right? That's usually the way it goes. But sadly, these things have been manipulated, and they will always be manipulated. And it's my promise and my pledge to you guys to do everything in my power to, to never use my authority that I have in a manipulative way. Obviously, I'm not perfect. Obviously, there can be misunderstandings at times, but also there can be sin. There can be sin in leadership at times, and it's my goal. Over the years, you know, there have been mistakes I've made. I've tried to publicly uh, confess those things and make those things right. There's, over the years, there's been a couple of stupid things I've said in sermons I had to apologize to the whole church for and go on record. Uh, there was one time I accidentally cussed in a sermon, but it was an accident. Uh, <laughs> you guys remember that one? <laughs> Uh, I'll tell you later on. I won't repeat it because then, then I have to apologize again. Uh, so, so um, listen, for authority to be good, it has to be confident and resolute. Because if authority doesn't exert itself, then evil will flourish. People who want to take control, people who want to do bad things, they will exert their power. Power always finds a way. Right? Power is always trying to find a way to, to wiggle in and get control of something. And so if those who have been authorized to use power won't use it, they're passive, they're not confident in it, evil will, will flourish. And so, so good authority must be confident and must be resolute and determined. But also, good authority must be humble and servant-hearted. Because if it's not, it can become overbearing and destructive. And it's that magical blend that Jesus shows us. Actually, the Apostle Paul, I think it's 2 Corinthians 10, he says this hilarious thing. I, I was cracking up reading these verses, 8 through 11. He says, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority, I just want to say, because in other places, Paul's like, I'll only boast in Christ, right? And then you read this, you're like, wait a second, Paul, I thought you were only boasting in Christ, and in your weaknesses and in Christ. And he's like, Hey, if, even if I boast a little too much in our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and, and not for destroying you, look at that, I will not be ashamed. Now, that's confident authority right there. Even if I boast a little bit that, hey, look, I'm here to bless you. I've got the power and the authority and the rulership and the dominion for your good to bless you. I'm not going to be ashamed of saying that. I love this spirit. This is a powerful spirit from Paul. He says, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. Some people are upset with Paul's letters, you know. Not the first time a leader's written something that people are upset about. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter, when absent, we do when present. Now, I'm not sure which, I need to do some more study on this verse. I'm not sure which way around Paul means it. If he's saying, oh, if you think my, my letters are, are threatening, but I'm not in person, when I'm with you, I'm going to be threatening. I don't know if he means it that way, or he means, no, I don't mean to be threatening in my letters. And when I'm with you, you'll see I'm not going to be threatening to you. I, I don't know which way he means it, because he could mean threatening in a, in a positive sense of, you know, powering up and, and, and being direct with people. I don't know. So I'm not sure about that. Someone maybe, hey, you want to figure that out for me this week, do a Bible study over Thanksgiving, figure it out, tell me the answer, that'd be great. And you're like, no, Matt, that's your job. Theology is in your domain, so... <laughs> You should do that. All right, point taken. I'll do that uh, that way. <laughs> uh, Paul knew that his authority had come from God, and he knew that it had to be used. It would be wrong for Paul to not use his authority as God had given him. And I think in the church in general, especially in America, you know, uh, we tend to dunk on authority. We tend to despise authority. I understand all that, and there are justifications for all that. But we need to find this balance of honorable authority that is honored. Having honorable authority that is also honored. Finding Because I think it's a biblical idea, a biblical balance to it. The cadence of it is, of course, grace as well. We've got this quote here. We're going to skip a couple of slides. We've got this quote here from Simon Sinek, who's a leadership guru. He says, leadership is not about being in charge. Leadership is about taking care of those in your charge. So he's still saying you're in charge, but it's some people want power because they love control. They love, I'm important. I've got control. But those who have been given power should understand this is, this is a sacred responsibility to use this power for the good of others, right? With Spider-Man, right? With great power comes great responsibility. I love that Bible verse. What, came, what became of our friend Jack, our, friend, our good friend Jack, who 
as we started off the sermon, he was in some sexual sin, some, some you know, abusing alcohol, sleeping with this non-Christian girl in his small group. It was a big mess. Bob and the other elders there had to challenge him on it, and then he moved away. Well, it had been six years. Six years had gone by. And then he was visiting from out of town. And he went back to Bob's church, and they hadn't seen him in six years. When they saw each other, they embraced, and Jack introduced Bob to his wife and his three kids. And they talked for a bit, and then Jack said to Bob, he said, I want to thank you for what you did for me six years ago. He said, if I'm honest, there were times I hated you for what you were doing. At times I resented it. I didn't like the discipline you put me under. I wanted to fight against it. But over time, my perspective changed. And in hindsight, Jack could now see not just that it was necessary, but it was good. It was good. And to Jack's credit, when he moved to this new city, he found a new church. And when he joined that church, he told the leaders of that church everything that had happened. Everything. He confessed it all, and he asked them if they would lead him and keep him accountable as well. This is a wonderful example of honorable authority in two churches, but also authority honored in this guy, in this, this man, Jack. We tend to hear the bad stories of church authority gone wrong, don't we? Can't tell you how many times I've heard, oh, this church did this to this person, or this person was hurt by this thing, and that's, that's tragic, and that will happen, and that does happen. And um, I tell you, there's always two sides to a story, don't forget that. Every time you hear that, always, there's always two sides to a story, but that will happen. But there are these redemptive stories that should be told, and the stories of Jack and, and Bob and these other leaders, the, these are real. These things happen, and they must happen, and Jesus has created his church to be good. He's created his church to be the place where we learn to be good, where we learn to confess, where we learn to confront well in a healthy way, where we learn to die to ourselves, where we learn to be under authority, where we learn to trust the Holy Spirit, we learn to trust those around us and learn to be vulnerable in that way. It's Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his blood shed for us. That, there's no greater power than the blood of Jesus. And it's that power that can heal our wounds if we're at odds with someone I honestly, it's so tragic to me when Christians can't work through stuff and they part ways. It doesn't have to be that way. It never has to be that way because the power of the blood of Jesus is the power to forgive our worst sins and to forgive us of everything, which means we can find the grace to, to, to be free of the wrongs we have done and to forgive others of the wrongs that they have done against us. This gospel it, it, it's, it's not just a self-improvement project. It's not just something that makes you better, makes you more righteous. It has the power to do that, but this gospel of Jesus, his death on the cross, it's the thing that forgives us, that takes away our sin and our shame and sets us free and helps us live in this world and helps us do things God's way in God's timing. 